Thanks for listening to the Northridge Christian Podcast. At Northridge, we exist to help people move closer to Christ. We believe that following Jesus is a journey, and we want to help you through that journey any way we can. We pray that you grow in your walk with God through this message today. So prepare your heart and mind for this teaching by our Group Life Pastor, Tim Smith. And I love that. Energizing. That's why a lot of you were standing up during that video. I love that. Listen, our freedom uh, to pursue Christ and to worship is not something that we take lightly. Um, it's because of so many men and women that have voluntarily put themselves in harm's way and sacrificed for us to have those freedoms and so many others. And we just want to say thank you. If you've been impacted um, by those sacrifices, if you've made those sacrifices, um, we just want to say thank you. And that means so much to us. In the spirit of freedom, you can clap. In the spirit of freedom today, we're going to wrap up a series, and that series is called Anxious for Nothing. And this has been one of the best series that I think we have ever done. If you've been here throughout the entire series, you know this has been an incredibly practical series that, that talks about things that, that we really struggle with on a day-to-day basis. My favorite quote from this series comes directly from the book that the series is based on by Max Lucado, and this is what it says. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. I hope you believe that, and I hope that throughout this series, you've found some anchors, some, some practical steps that you can take so that you can overcome the anxiety in your life. To make it simple, um, we've been working from an acronym, this acronym right over here, C-A-L-M, and we've been talking about each of those things every single week. We've talked about three of them so far. I want to know if anybody can tell me the first three. Can anybody tell me the first three? There's a prize involved. It's not bouncy balls. That's coming later. Anybody? Celebrate. Okay. Anybody? Anybody? I'm going to bring a microphone to you. I'm going to go ahead and tell you I'm going to do that. Can anybody tell me the first three? Y'all are scared when I said microphone, aren't you? All right, let me help you out. C is celebrate God's. You ever watch Andy Griffith's show where Barney is going to recite and, and he says, I got it. And he just needs the first word and then the second word and then the third word and then the fourth word. Why don't I just tell you what these things are and you go home and study them before next week. First one is this, celebrate God's goodness. The next one, the A is this, ask for God's help. The third one is this, leave your concerns with God. Those are the three that we've talked about already. Here, I'm, I was gonna give this out as a prize, but that's obviously not gonna work because you guys haven't studied or prepared for this. So you're up front. So you're gonna get it just for sitting up here towards the front. It'll give you something to read and study up on because you're giving the message next week. I'm just kidding, sort of. All right, let me tell you the last one because we're going to wrap up this series and, uh, and, and we're going to wrap it up in a powerful way by talking about this M word and it's this, meditate on good things. Meditate on good things. Focus on the positive. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse eight. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about those things. Meditate on good things. Focus on the positive. Listen, that sounds like such a simple instruction, but it often fights against everything in us that's natural. 
See, let me prove it. We're wired to focus on the negative. Let's say you get a cold this week. Are you going to focus on the week of misery that's waiting for you or the 51 weeks of health that God has blessed you with? Let me give you another example. What if your kid comes home with, with all of their grades and every single one of them is passing? They're great. They're, they're even A's except for one class that they're failing. Are you taking them out for ice cream? Are you grounding them for a month? Or what about this one? Let's say your spouse or your roommate does a really good job of closing the cabinet doors. It's a real struggle in my house. But there's one particular cabinet door that they left open, and that's the cabinet door that you slammed your head on. Are you going to celebrate their 95% success rate? Or are you going to focus on the 5% that made you bleed? <laughs> you see, the negative screams for our attention. Well, oftentimes the positive stuff comes in the form of a whisper. The challenge for us today as we focus on this idea of meditating on good things is, is to not allow those negative things to saturate our hearts and our minds because if they sit there, they're going to cause damage. Now, I saw this principle played out in a practical way just the past few weeks as we've been looking at some houses and some of the houses that we've looked at have had masonite siding on them. Now, I'm no expert. I don't know all the details and benefits and all that kind of stuff, but I have Google just like everybody else. So I went to Google and I looked up what this was, and basically it said that it was sawdust that was glued together with a paper outside that's supposed to be really, really pretty on the side of a house. As a matter of fact, between the years of 1980 and 2010, this was one of the most widely used sightings put on houses in the United States of America. But unfortunately, what we found over the course of time is this happens. You see, this particular siding allows water to penetrate through it. And as that water penetrates the siding, the, the siding becomes weak and flimsy, almost like cardboard, and it just begins to rot and fall off of the house. The water destroys the house from the inside out. This is what I want you to understand about that. Siding that lets water through and becomes saturated is never going to be able to withstand the pressure of time. And people who allow negativity to saturate their hearts and their minds are never going to be able to experience real peace because we're going to be destroyed from the inside out. In this life, listen, negativity is going to come. Even Jesus says this. He says, in this life, you will have trouble. Negativity is going to rain down on each and every one of us. The trick is to be like good siding that causes it to bounce off before it can get in our hearts and cause any real damage. There's a story that illustrates this point in the Bible, and it's in Matthew chapter 14. So you can go ahead and open up to that passage right now. I want to tell you that I'm really excited about teaching on this, though, because I've taught on this passage before. This is a story that's familiar to a lot of you. It's the story of Jesus walking on water and Peter hopping out of the boat and walking to him. It's a, it's a powerful story that I've taught on countless times, not at this church, but other places. But as I was preparing for this message, God revealed something in this story that I'd never noticed before. And that was the context of the story. 
The things that were going on before this happened that impact the power and impact of this particular story on my life. So I believe that God is going to allow you to see this through fresh eyes, and you're going to be able to leave with a greater understanding of what this story is all about. You see, the story doesn't begin with Jesus, and it doesn't begin with the disciples. The story actually begins with a guy named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a prophet who was preparing the way for Jesus. He spent his whole ministry, really his entire life, pointing people towards Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, many of Jesus' followers, his disciples, were first followers of John. But John pointed them to Jesus, and they followed him as a result. John the Baptist is well-known, and he's well-loved by Jesus and his followers. This is what Jesus has to say about him in Matthew eleven eleven. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, I tell you all that to say this. It's important for you to understand how they feel about John the Baptist so you can understand their pain when they find out that John the Baptist has been killed. Not just killed, John has been beheaded by the government. Just like that, the disciples are, are struck with grief. Just like that, it's, it's not only grief that's weighing on their heart, it's also fear because what happened to John, they recognize could now happen to them. Upon hearing this, the Bible tells us that even Jesus went to a place of solitude where he could be alone and process through what he's heard. The disciples are doing the same thing. But that moment of solitude quickly turned into a day of labor. Have you ever tried to have some time to yourself and that been interrupted before? Everybody with kids said, amen, right? I'm going on vacation this week with my three kids. It's not vacation uh, when you have three little kids. It's an interruption. It's a constant interruption. That's what these disciples are going through. They're, they're taking a few minutes just to regroup just to get themselves together. And, and about the time they do, it says a crowd of over 5,000 people found them. Think about it. When was the last time you were struck with grief or fear? Did you feel like entertaining over 5,000 strangers? That's what the disciples are up against right now. The Bible tells us that Jesus responded to the crowd. It says that he had compassion on the crowd and he began to heal their sick, but it doesn't tell us how the disciples felt. I believe in the omission in this text is something very obvious. The disciples are overwhelmed by the crowd. Although they were probably reluctant, the disciples stayed with Jesus and the crowd until late. Jesus started teaching the crowd, and some of you feel like our services go late, but he taught all the way until nighttime. He taught for so long that the crowd's stomach began to growl, and you couldn't even hear Jesus' words over the growl of the stomachs. And so the disciples go to Jesus and they say, look, we've got to pack up. We've got to go. We've got to let these people leave because they've got to find food. But Jesus has another plan. Jesus says, instead of leaving so they can find food, he says, I want you to feed them. I want you to carry baskets around. I want you to serve all 5,000 plus of these people. I asked my daughter the other day, she's eight. I said, will you unload the dishwasher? You know how she looked at me? She gave me that look right there. She unloaded the dishwasher, but she gave me this look first. I imagine that's probably what the disciples look like. Jesus says, no, I, I know you're tired. I know you're grief stricken. I, I know that you're afraid, but go work. Go do something. Go serve these people. I imagine they're going, really? Right now? 
Like, give us a few minutes and we'll come back and we'll be, we'll be full and ready to go. But, but Jesus says, no, now's the time. I want you to work. The disciples do what Jesus says. They feed all of these people. When all is said and done, I want you to understand the disciples are tired. They're exhausted. They're full of fear. And they're feeling the effects of grief. That's where the story of Jesus walking on the water starts. Let's read what it says, starting in verse 22. It says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. I think the reason that, that he says this in verse 22 is, is Jesus recognizes the mental state of the disciples. He recognizes that they're at a breaking point. He recognizes that they need to go to a place where they can be alone and regroup for a few minutes. So it says he made them go off ahead of him so that they can be alone and they can have a few minutes to themselves. You see, I think Jesus recognized their situation and that's why he said this. But I think everything else that happens in the story happens as a result of Jesus knowing the mental state of the disciples. Try and read the rest of the text through those eyes. It says, go on ahead of them to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Now, when you're reading this story, if you're anything like me, you have some questions, right? Like, why, why did Jesus walk out to them on the boat? Why didn't Jesus just snap his fingers and show up with the disciples? Why, why didn't he just wait on the disciples to come back and, and regroup with them there? Why, why didn't he go out with them in the first place? I think the reason this story happens the way it does is because Jesus recognizes these particular disciples, these disciples that have been through so much that are struggling in these ways, they need to experience a personal miracle. You see, these disciples had partnered with Jesus and they had been serving other people. But at this particular moment, they didn't need to see a miracle. They needed to experience a miracle. Isn't it funny that sometimes we get so caught up in doing ministry with Jesus that we forget to allow Jesus to do something for us? You see, as a church, we put a lot of responsibility on our volunteers and we do that for a reason. We believe it's the way that God has designed the church to operate best. We believe it gives you an opportunity to work in your strengths and do amazing things for the kingdom of God. And quite honestly, as a result of the culture that's been created here, we have the greatest volunteers in the entire country. We love you guys and you do a great job. But let me tell you one of the hazards of doing a great job in this area. Sometimes we get so busy that we forget to stop and allow Jesus to work in our lives in a personal way. Some of you that may be wrestling with that today, here's what Jesus wants you to understand about this story. Jesus is as much for you as he is for the people that you're trying to tell about him. Jesus loves you in a personal, relational way, and you need to allow yourselves to be impacted by that love. Let's continue with the story in verse 27. It says, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, reply, uh, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Let's pause right there for just a second. It takes courage to trust Jesus in the chaos. 
It takes courage to trust Jesus in the chaos. That's true of their current situation with the wind and the waves all over the place. It takes courage to trust that it's Jesus that's walking out on the water. But I believe that that's also true of their larger situation. Their situation with John the Baptist. Their situation with their exhaustion. Their situation with their anxiety. It's tough to trust Jesus in the chaos. But Jesus is about to teach them how important that is. You see, Peter says, if it's you, if it's you, Jesus, call me to come out to you on the water. Who else would it be? Who else is going to walk out to them on the water? Peter knows it's Jesus. I believe the question he's really asking Jesus here is this. I think he's saying, Jesus, do I have to be afraid? Jesus, can I really trust you? Not just, not just in this situation, but, but in everything. Can I, can I really trust you? This is how Jesus responds. He says, uh, somewhere in here, he says, come, right here, come. Try me, test me, put it to the test. I'm going to come through. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But, Jesus, uh, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he called him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Listen, Peter was walking out to Jesus on the water, and everything was going really well. He's walking out to Jesus, but then something happened. There, there came a distraction that took his eyes off of Jesus. Let me illustrate to you what Jesus is trying to explain in this text. How I'm going to bring you up here. You willing to come up here for a second? Yeah. It's like me? I was taking notes, right? Come on up here. Hal's going to come up here, and he's going to help me teach what Jesus teaches. Come stand over here with me for just a second, okay? We're standing right here together, and right now on the camera, you can see that both of us are up here, right? When you look at the camera shot, you can see both of us. That's, that's what Peter sees. You see, when he's looking out, he sees Jesus, who's represented by me. Sorry, sorry Hal. Um, he sees Jesus, holy and wonderful, and, and then he sees the distractions, like Hal. And, and really, we don't even want Hal up here. So we're going to push you off to the side over there. Just stand right there, okay? And, and this is what Jesus is saying. Do, do a wide shot for me real fast. Where we can see, see, Peter sees everything that's going on, and as a result, he's distracted. And, and what Jesus says is, what I want for you is, is for you to zero in and focus on me. Show a close-up shot of just me. Boom. He says, look, the wind and the waves are going to be there. There's going to be distractions. But just because they're there doesn't mean you got to look at them. Focus on Jesus. And you don't even have to pay attention to the distractions that are coming in your life. Thanks, Hal. I appreciate it. Y'all give him a hand. Get this. This is an important principle that we've got to understand. But, but I want you to understand, Jesus is not giving instructions on how to walk on water. <laughs> Did you know that? Think about it really fast. How many times after this do you see the disciples walking on water? Never. If Jesus were teaching them how to walk on water, don't you think they would do that on a regular basis? I mean, go out there and play and show off. But they don't do that because what Jesus is teaching them is about more than their current situation. Jesus is teaching them something about their life. Jesus is teaching them something about anxiety. What Jesus is teaching them is this, look, it's, it's okay to be hurt. It's okay to be realistic. It's okay to need solitude and a few minutes to process all the negative things that are going on in this broken world. 
He says, if you become focused on those things, if you allow them to work themselves into the picture of the things that you're focusing on, you're going to sink every single time. He says, your goal as followers of me, your goal is when things come into the picture, when things fight to, to, to become a part of your life that don't need to be there, when negativity surrounds you, he says, look, you've got to allow those things to bounce. Y'all be careful on the front row. He says, you've got to let those things bounce. You can't let them stick. You can't let them keep your attention. You've got to let them bounce off to the side. I didn't say this in the first service because I just thought about it a minute ago, but what direction do these balls go when they bounce? They go up, right? See, when something bad happens, when negativity surrounds you, when the wind and the waves are crashing around you, you got to allow your focus to bounce up towards the love of Jesus Christ. Look at your neighbor and say, let it bounce. This is what he says. He wants you to have this attitude. It happened, but it's not going to penetrate my heart. Say, let it bounce. That was scary. Seriously, be careful on the front road. This is dangerous. What he wants you to say is, look, it's bad, but it's not the end. Say, let it bounce. He wants you to say, look, I may need some time to deal, but I'm not going to surrender myself to it. Say, let it bounce. He says, listen, all the stuff that's going on around me, I'm, I'm going to know it's there, but I'm not going to focus on it and I'm not going to allow it to saturate my heart. Say, let it bounce. He wants you to say, I'm going to focus my attention on bouncing up towards the things of God. I'm not going to allow these things to impact my life in a negative way. Listen, he's not just preaching to the disciples now, is he? See, he's preaching to each and every one of us. Because in our lives, there's negativity all around us. We got to learn to have this attitude of letting it bounce so we can focus on the good things of God. If you want to put this into practice this week, and I hope you do, there's three things, and we're going to be really brief, but I want you to do these things this week, and they're going to help you overcome the anxiety in your life, help you bounce towards the things of God. First thing you got to do is this. You've got to know what you're bouncing from. Know what you're bouncing from. What are the triggers in this life that occupy the space between your ears? What are the things that assault your peace and cause you anxiety? What is it that penetrates your siding and saturates your mind? You see, for Peter, it was the wind and the waves. For the disciples, it was the fear and the grief. What is it for you? It could be any number of things. We've talked about a lot of examples throughout this series, but, but it's very personal. What is it that triggers a distraction in you? If he, meaning Satan, can distract you, he can destroy you. If he can distract you, he can destroy you. That was a phrase that I wrote on the top of my notes this week. I knew I wanted to work it into the sermon, but I didn't know exactly where. So I, I put it at the very top of my notes. If he can distract you, he can destroy you. That's good stuff, right? I'm going to hold on to that. I'm going I'm to allow that to work itself into this sermon naturally. Well, come Thursday, I hadn't figured out how to work it in. And I'm working through my sermon a little bit, and I get a phone call. And I'll be honest with you, a phone call frustrated me. It made me angry. I had a bad experience with an individual, and it caused my blood to boil. Now, I'd tell you what that was, but then I'd have to pay you for therapy. So I'm not going to do that. But I just need you to understand, I had one of those moments where I was weak, and I said, you know what, I'm, <clears throat> I'm frustrated, and I'm mad, and I'm angry. 
And I came back and I picked up my sermon and I just felt like I can't, can't work on this anymore because I'm so mad and I'm so frustrated. You know, the first thing I saw when I picked up my sermon, if he can distract you, he can destroy you. Whew. God works in my heart before he gives me something to say to you. See, he was working on me because I was allowing a distraction to sit on the throne of my heart and it was messing me up. I had to identify that thing so that I could remove it, so I could go to battle with it, so I could be back where God wants me to be. In 2 Corinthians 10.5, this is what it says. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's our goal. Recognize the triggers in your life that are causing anxiety so that you can take those things captive and you can surrender them to Jesus. Second thing you got to do is this. You got to know what you're bouncing to. This is where we go back to Philippians chapter four, verse eight. It says this. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true and noble, whatever is right and pure, whatever is lovely and admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Occupy your mind with good things, things that matter, things that bring joy. This is what Stephen Furtick says. I love the way he puts this. The quality of your joy cannot exceed the purity of your thoughts. You cannot live better than you think. You see, as Christians, as believers, we've got to pick what we ponder. We've got to pick what we think about. We've got to steer our minds towards things that are good and true, things that God provides so that it puts us in the right frame of mind. I was out just a minute ago in the lobby and I was talking to Robert. Most of you know Robert. I don't think he's in here. I think he's out in the lobby, probably doing what he does best. That's loving on people. And he stands at the door and he's greeting people. And I said, how are you, Robert? And he did what I'm sure he's done to every single one of you. He started listing things. And he started telling me all the reasons that God has been good to him in his life. Would you know, I almost didn't make it back in time to preach. Because Robert was out there telling me all the ways that God is blessing him and doing good things in his life. Look, he's working at it. He's identifying what he's bouncing to. And man, he does it in what seems like such a natural way. That's gotta be our goal. We gotta say when bad stuff happens, we're gonna bounce and we're gonna know what we're bouncing to. And that's the good things that God is doing in our life. And third and last, we gotta be willing to practice the bounce. My daughter, um, my other daughter, she's four years old. And when I got home from work this week, she came running up, hair's wet. She said, Daddy, I practice swimming. I said, you don't know how to swim. <laughs> I hadn't taught you, where'd you practice? It's rained a lot, but we hadn't put in a swimming pool. She said, I was at the neighbor's house and I practiced swimming. I said, they don't have a swimming pool either. She said, no, it's a kiddie pool. You know, it's about this big. And I didn't have the heart to tell her, Addie, you can't practice swimming where your feet can touch. You can't practice swimming where your feet can touch. You can't practice bouncing when everything's going well either. Your goal has to be to say, when things are bad, when things are tough, when nothing is right, when health is a concern, when my family is falling apart, when I lost my job, when finances are in turmoil, that's when I'm gonna practice the bounce. That's when I'm gonna embrace this concept. I'm not gonna let it knock me down because in Jesus Christ, I have hope of a future and I have blessings that I can turn to. I have things I can bounce to and I'm gonna focus on him instead of allowing the negativity to impact my life, to saturate my heart and to rot me from the inside out. That's gotta be our goal. 
I believe some of you are probably in that place today. Some of you are probably struggling in some way with anxiety, something that's weighing you down. Today is your day to practice, to put this stuff into play and embrace the life that God wants for you. I want to close with this. Go back to the story of Peter and the boat. Did you notice how the story ended? It says, then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. This is what's cool about this. This was the first time we ever see them say this. You could search the Bible. They don't use this phrase until this moment. You see, in the midst of their struggle, in the midst of their pain, in the midst of this experience with Jesus, they learned to trust him. They learned to embrace him. And they learned to allow him to dictate the direction of their life. Have you done the same thing? We sang a few minutes ago songs about how good God is, and we sang this, should this life bring suffering, still I will remember what Calvary bought for me. Whatever's going on in your life, there's something good going on too. We've got to bounce to those things and allow Jesus to have access to our heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we come before you now desperate to cling to you when life goes bad. When things cause anxiety and when things don't go right, Lord, I pray that you give us the strength and the courage to trust you in the midst of the chaos, to turn to you, to focus on the good things that you've provided in our lives instead of focusing on all the negativity that's going to rot us from the inside and destroy us from the inside out. God, we know that you've provided so many blessings for each and every one of us. God, we just pray that in these next few moments, God, and in the days ahead, you, you remind us of all those things so that we can put you in the proper place on the throne of our heart. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. You can keep up with what's happening at Northridge on your mobile device through our Northridge Christian app. If you have any questions about Northridge, you can contact us at info at